The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Joe Napote, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. A master of Native American humor is Brooks Hayes of Arkansas, special assistant to the president and former representative in Congress. Here is Mr. Hayes before the Pennsylvania Political Science and Public Administration Association. I always feel at home with the teachers of government, although I'm not an expert in this field. I am a practitioner. I'm not afraid of experts. I... um, was sitting by uh, a couple in Washington at a dinner party one night when the man who had just met the lady said to her, Are, uh, and you're Mrs. Post? And she said, yes. Mrs. Emily Post? And she said, yes. Well, Mrs. Post, you're eating my salad. My father was uh, himself a country school teacher. And in this connection, I think you'd be interested in what happened when he took the census in 1900, uh, asked an old man standing in front of his cabin in this uh, frontier country uh, his name. He said, I'm the enumerator, sir, and I need some information. What is your name? He said, Hearn, Randall J. Hearn. Father said, how do you spell it? Spell it yourself, stranger. I'm a non-scholar. <laughs> so... Uh, this uh, uh, this character, Randall J. Hearn, is not a fictional character. He is not legendary, as some members of Congress believe, because sometimes I would quote him in the Foreign Affairs Committee, and occasionally my chairman, Mr. Richards of South Carolina, would turn to me and say, what would Randall Hearn's opinion be on this proposition? And I knew he meant by that, what would... Uh, what would the man at the grassroots think? What uh, would the non-scholar have to say about this problem? One of my Republican friends complained over the method adopted by the Democrats in a certain reapportioning problem, and uh, he was rather violent about it. He said, you Democrats are just not fair. Well, I said, looking at some of the things the Republicans do, I would say, you remind me of the country boys playing cards down in Arkansas. He looked over at his friend. He said, play it. He said, play the cards fair, Reuben. I know what I dealt you. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, and uh, sometimes it is possible for a politician to extricate himself from political pressures As uh, Claude Swanston said with his famous five rules, 
the first rule being, when in doubt, do right. <laughs> you might be interested, incidentally, in those other four rules. I believe I can recall them. He said, uh, first, never buy your ticket till you hear the train whistle. Uh, second, always be strong for something nobody can be against. <laughs> Uh, then the third one I've indicated. Fourth, never use one word if five will do. <laughs> Finally, always stick to your party. If the storm comes and uh, the vessel threatens to sink, move the ballast and try to save her. But if she sinks, follow the rats. <laughs> I rejoice in the trend these days. Seeing an academician often leave his cloisters to enter the political arena, that's good. And uh, I think of some very notable careers that have come out of that response that you uh, sometimes make to the, the lure that is always present. But the little lady in England was asked, you know, who did you vote for? And she said, vote? Oh, I never vote. It only encourages them. <laughs> Then, uh, because you believe in, uh, in precision and in uh, a scientific evaluation of party positions, you do not agree with the little lady who said, when she was asked about the difference between the Tories and the liberals, oh, she said the only difference is that the Tories think they're better born and the liberals just know they're born better. <laughs> And I think a book could be written on what the sweet little ladies in England say about politics, uh, or even in, uh, in Arkansas, because you may have heard the story of uh, the little lady who was voting for the first time when women were given suffrage, and she rode to the polls with her son, who could see she was quite agitated over the prospect of participating in this great experiment in government, government by consent of the governed, and uh, she went in to vote that attitude of eagerness and anticipation was registered on her countenance. But when she came out and got in the car, it was obvious that she was disappointed. She was very solemn and grave. And as uh, they went home, he said, Mother, who did you vote for? She said, Son, I, I'll, I'll tell you. I looked at the ballot, and there were the names of such good men listed for these offices, such good men, um, such uh, fine, noble people. I just didn't have it in my heart to vote against any of them. I just wrote at the bottom of the ballot, God bless you all. <laughs> this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is uh, the multi-talented uh, uh, journalist, researcher, writer of nonfiction and literary teen fiction. Um, she has a new book out. Well, actually, I, I want to mention a couple of books that she's already written. She is the author of Alexander Hamilton, Revolutionary, The Game of Love and Death, and uh, Divine Intervention. She has a new book that uh, is uh, considered to be somewhat critical, uh, a critical biography of Donald Trump that is uh, the first of its kind, a, uh, a book designed for young adult readers 
about a sitting uh, a biography of a sitting president called Unprecedented. And of course, I'm talking about Martha Brockenbrow. Martha, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me back. Um, this is such a weird coincidence because it was just a week ago that I had, um, uh, give me a minute, uh, L.A. Kaufman, who is uh, somewhat of an activist, and she was involved with that group that did the um, the fake Washington Post stories. Oh, that, yeah. And used yeah. the same phrase, unprecedented, as their headline. <laughs> and I mentioned you in your book when I talked to uh, L.A. last week, and I thought that was just the weirdest uh, coincidence. <laughs> and, and I'm sure that it was, in fact, a coincidence. But what made you pick this title, Unprecedented, for a biography of the president? Well, so those of us who followed Trump's Twitter feed carefully know that from time to time he uh, misspells something um, or invents an entirely new word. And this, this is an example of a new word invented by Trump, unprecedented. He meant unprecedented. Um, and it just seemed like the perfect title for a biography of him because so much of what he has brought to the Oval Office really is unprecedented. And uh, I couldn't resist. And perhaps unpresidential? Um, you could probably make a case that it's unpresidential, um, whether for good or for bad, probably depends on your point of view of the man. But def- definitely, uh, there's some unpresidential behavior going on. Now, you really dug into this book from from a, a, a journalistic standpoint, researching and putting together a whole timeline of of Trump's complete biography. This isn't tales from the campaign trail or a tell-all book from inside the White House. This is the life of Donald Trump. Um, Why did you want to do this book, and in particular, um, gear it toward young adults? Well, I wanted to write this book for young people because I was concerned about what they might be told about the president. Typically, biographies of presidents written for younger readers tend to be glowing accounts um, of their George, lives and careers. George, and, George Washington um, and the know, cherry tree. <laughs> yes, that's exactly the sort of mythology that is memorable, it is charming, and I uh, don't think it's something that should be told to children. I think that <laughs> it's important to tell kids the truth. And so I wanted to do that knowing that it would be a a delicate and possibly controversial prospect. What kind of reactions have you gotten from people about the book? Um, You know, uh, young people, the, the, the first group that I told about this was a group of a few hundred students in Farmville, Virginia. And I was there talking with them about Alexander Hamilton, who I knew was beloved because of the musical. And I mentioned that I had this book on Trump coming out, and they went berserk. They wanted me to read it to them, and so I read it to, you know, I read portions to them, and um, the kids were 
really super interested. And of course they are. You know, it's what absolutely dominates the media. And they deserve to have someone telling them about Trump, you know, with these young readers in mind. These are kids who did not grow up during the Vietnam War, most of whom weren't alive for 9-11. And so what my book does that an adult book might not do is provide this context. And I wanted to cover not just the campaign stuff, but really all of his life so that readers could be um, certain that I was providing meaningful patterns of behavior, because of course those patterns of behavior predict future behavior. And there is a a credibility issue with the president, and there is a credibility issue with news these days. I, yes, I think that's true. I don't think the credibility issues are in any way the same. I, I'm, um, I'm not. It's, I, <laughs> I, I guess what I'm yeah. saying is, in in research for this book. How do you weigh through the things that may not be true and accurate and and call information that you feel solid about? That's a great question. Um, so and and historians face this all the time and and there's kind of this um, misunderstanding that a primary source is an unimpeachable source and Primary sources can also be inaccurate. When I was doing my book on Alexander Hamilton, for example, his good buddy Hercules Mulligan tended to exaggerate what Hamilton did. And so um, we always have to be skeptical of information we're looking at. And we can say, hey, um, is there another source that confirms this? Um, And so, you know, some sources are more reliable than others. For example, congressional testimony. When I'm looking at the government's transcript of testimony, whether it's for Donald Trump's father or Donald Trump's son, um, I trust that that was what was actually said. Now, whether it was true is another matter, and that's where you look to other sources. And so there's always a great deal of thinking going on. Um, and, you know, how I present the information. There are more than 1,400 footnotes in this book and (laughs) quite a few pages of additional back matter um, because I did want people to know exactly where I learned things. Were there things that you uncovered that that surprised you? You must have had some idea where this book was going to go before you started, but... Were, were there some things that jumped up and, and just took you completely by surprise? Well, so I did have some idea based on what I'd seen on the campaign trail um, uh, and, you know, based on what I knew of his life from watching him on The Apprentice and being vaguely aware of tabloid news stories from the 1980s. Um, but, yeah, definitely some things surprised me. You know how we often read that Donald Trump is chaotic and unpredictable? Yeah. Um, he, may seem, he may seem chaotic. He's completely predictable. We'll have more with author Martha Brockenbro straight ahead.
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hornets. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Martha Brockenbrough, straight ahead. When you look at the patterns that he established throughout the course of his life um, and what he really values, it's actually pretty easy to predict what he, you know, what comes next and what's going on in his head. So Trump's primary um, drive in life is to win. He talks about, you know, how much he hates losers, how important winning is. And this is really something, a value that he got from his father. Um, And, you know, Trump was raised in a household where if you were not a winner, you were a loser. And this is a really important thing to keep in mind. So, you know, when Trump habitually doesn't tell the truth, that's just all part of his strategy toward winning. He can persuade a number of people that the media is fake um, and that whatever he says is the truth, and that becomes powerful. It certainly takes a long time to um, prove something isn't true, and by the time you do, people might have moved on or already internalized the false information. So that is, a, that is an intentional strategy, and it's an effective one. Um, I, I think it's one that all of us who care about civil society and discourse should reject and find it unacceptable Um, because, you know, when someone's willing to be untruthful that frequently, that is a really unfair and destructive advantage they have. But there's a, uh, this thing that has, has haunted me a little bit for a little while and I, and I want to transpose it to this story and and it has to do with privacy and there's a, a generation of young people coming up um that that don't have the same expectation with regard to privacy that people my age would have um they they don't value it in the same way and i wonder if that's true today of or if we run the risk of it becoming true because we have so many public figures that are so comfortable with not telling the truth that we risk having a generation of young people to whom the truth is not as important. Well, here's the thing. People might say the truth isn't important and they might give in to cynicism and say, oh, everybody lies. Yeah. That's really, that's not true. And we don't want it (laughs) to be true. Um, We want to be able to trust the products that we buy. Um, We want to trust that food is safe to eat. We want to trust that, um, you know, a, a bank that we're dealing with to borrow money for our house isn't going to change the terms of the deal. Um, Our whole society is run on an engine of trust. Democracy is, it depends on facts and rational conversations. And so, um, you know, what authoritarians want to do is destroy a belief in shared reality so that they can control us. Um, and uh, I, 
I don't want that for this nation and for anybody in it. You know, when you, when you bring up I mean, up I guess the... in terms of privacy... Oh, I wanted to f- just follow up on the privacy yeah. thread. Um, you know, <laughs> there's lots of ways of slicing that. Um, and one of the dangers that we're facing these days is the data collection companies know so much about us and can tailor deliver disinformation meant to divide us. And that is exactly what Russia did. Um, And it's a legitimate question whether they had cooperation from members of the Trump campaign. But I'm, I'm really bothered by this idea that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a joke, you know, going back decades. It didn't start with John, with Donald Trump that, you know, you can tell when a politician is lying because his lips are moving, you, you know, that kind of thing. They all lie and all that. Yep. But when you talk about trust, when you talk about trust with regard to public safety and food quality and those kinds of things, you know, my, my show is based uh, out of Flint, Michigan, and there are very few people in Flint, Michigan that trust anything elected officials have to say. Um because of the number of people who said the water's fine. Right, right. Your trust was betrayed. In, in a very is- big way <laughs> and at several levels of government. And so now, you know, I, I'm I'm really concerned about this this issue of trust and the example being set by the president. I think... Y- y- I think it's, a, you know, I'm so sorry for the ongoing suffering, and I'm so sorry for the betrayal that occurred in Flint, Michigan. It doesn't mean that government is untrustworthy or unimportant. You don't have water because the government has failed you. It's the job of government to provide it. That's exactly why government is important. So it's, you know, it's it. Let let us not discard the notion of government. Let us um, demand transparent and ethical government and a return to those systems. Um, You know, fortunately, in the United States, it is an aberration and you can trust public utilities. Um, And in part, that's because of the work that journalists do. When I was a journalist, I used to go to public utility meetings and write about things and and sometimes request public information to ensure that uh, the public could count on it. And this is how government and the media are supposed to work together in service of the public. But it, it just seems you know, more and there's more. Any, there's any number of ways it can go wrong, yeah. That, that lately, you know, journalists are have become pundits. And and not necessarily fact collectors. You know, we're we're getting more opinion and more analysis than we are actual facts. And and it just seems to me that it's made so much worse when we have a president of the United States who routinely uh, manipulates the media and and uses misinformation as as part of his strategy to you know stir things up and recreate them the way he wants 
and and the example that that sets for young people. And I would have to think that that some of that is at, at the heart of of your book. It's absolutely at the heart of my book, and the aberration that Trump represents. I go into that. Um, the Washington Post keeps track of how many public lies a president is caught making, and and there's different kinds of lies. There's <coughs> excuse me. There's there's the accidental. Um, you know, they've been misinformed and they say something that's wrong. There's misinformation. Um, you know, we you know is that there's a lie where they say something they know to be untrue, and then there's disinformation, which is um, made up, entirely baseless stuff meant to um, confuse people. Anyway, Trump is a master liar. Obama in the course of his eight-year term, um, was caught saying, I think it was either 16 or 18 untrue things. Trump has said that many things in in a day, that many lies in a day. Um, I did the math and calculated the rate of lying. For every lie Obama told while in office, for the first, you know, 500 or so days of his campaign, Trump told 1,230 so it's not even close. And to say, oh, well, Obama lied too, it's not the same. It's, a not, it's not a fair comparison. And I think that's one of the things that we have to pay really close attention to is the absolutely astonishing rate of lies that come out of his mouth. Um, and, you know, for me to put on my pundit hat for a moment, I think this is unacceptable and we should all find it unacceptable. And I would challenge the American media to find a way of not allowing themselves to be used the way they're being used. It's really not important to cover every lie that, that he says. But I think because it, he says it. But I think in this, uh, you know, social media electronic era of news delivery where first is more important than fact, that... They, the media, by and large, has done itself a disservice by reporting things quickly before they've been vetted. Um, I think that that's true, and you know, it's the media business is a really hard one. Um, and I think it's gotten—I you know, it, think it's, it's gotten a little harder because there's such a, a rush people want to know what's going on while something is still going on you know we're getting live feeds from hostage negotiations and you know a lot of times people are asking questions and the answers aren't there yet but people are trying to fill in with answers we're getting the wrong number of gunmen at an episode and the wrong type of weapons and you know, body counts are wrong, and and then it ends up evolving over three or four days before we actually get a story that's close to what really happened. And when that happens, it makes it easy for someone who wants to make it sound as if the media is not trustworthy or reliable. I think this is really true, and, you know, it, it does take two participants in that exchange when we're always refreshing refreshing our social media always wanting that next little oh what's happening what's happening um we are contributing to that and so 
if you do want more thoughtful media, try something that runs on a little slower lead time or try a, a, a format that is given to um, a slower and more nuanced delivery of information rather than, you know, just these little quick bursts of sound bites. Um, you know, or I think at least acknowledge that it takes time <laughs> for a story to completely unfold and, and accept that you might not be getting the right answers right away. You might want to give it a couple of days. It definitely takes time, but there's another dimension, and that is reflexive centrism. Sometimes the media, in wanting to appear unbiased or fair and balanced, goes and gets opinions of people who um, aren't as well-informed, and those opinions should not carry equal weight. A really good example of this is how the climate change catastrophe that's on the horizon has been covered. Um, For the first few decades, they always got a climate change denier. Someone would say, well, the science isn't quite clear. There's actually an overwhelming consensus of climate scientists. And you, you clients, climate scientists, you can go to NASA.com and read all about it. Sure. Um, the vast majority agree that human behavior has caused climate change. But because of this attempt of journalists to appear balanced, um, a false reality was constructed where um, you know, it appears as though maybe we don't know the science. We actually do. Climate scientists know the science, and we need to be gearing up and changing our ways. And we're not because people have been misinformed. And so one of the hard things that journalists need to do is um, exercise independent thought um, and, and not worry so much about what people will think and what people will accuse them of bias, but rather say, have I talked with actual experts, the best, most knowledgeable people, and have I gotten information that um, can be confirmed elsewhere so that uh, people really are fairly informed? Not that they think they've been fairly informed, but they actually are. Um, My book is critical of Trump. That does not make it unfair. That actually makes it correspond with reality. And and one of the things that that I find... uh interesting about your book are the uh, uh, is the timeline uh, part of it you know showing um, you know the the uh, various milestones in in Trump's life when when things happened and you know in what order how and when you say that, that Donald Trump is predictable, how predictable was his his uh, campaign in 2016 and the outcome? Well, um, what he did was violate all of the norms so that he would get most of the media attention trained onto him. If you obey the rules then the rules of coverage will follow and that everybody gets kind of their their portion. But if you're willing to break the rules and do whatever it takes, um, you are going to get a whole lot of coverage. And so that was definitely uh, predictable. It was a it was a gutsy strategy, um, even if it wasn't admirable. I thought it was pretty uh, 
Barack Obama has commented on that a couple of times. One at the uh, at, at his last uh, White House press corps dinner, when he thanked the media <laughs> for for giving <laughs> giving the world Trump. Um, but also, he said something just recently uh, during this uh, midterm campaign. He was out campaigning for somebody, and he was reminding people that. Trump did not create the environment we're in, that he's sort of a product of that, uh, of, of a state of mind that already existed. Um, do you think that's true, or do you think Trump's ability to manipulate has brought about sea change? Um, well, I think both of them are true. I think he's, he's a very talented politician, and that um, he knows what people want to hear and can boil it down into memorable sound bites. Um, I think he got some assistance from Russia. Um, I also think that, you know, we've had a long assault on the, quote, elite. Um, now, uh, to me, there's, there are elitists. There are people who think they're better than others, and I think those people deserve scorn and approbation. But elite? Heck no. Elite is what um, got us to go to the moon. Um, you know, elite is what created, uh, you know, discovered penicillin. Um, and people who are elite thinkers are ones who are developing um, important technology um, who are leading important discussions, and we should embrace the elite, just like we do. You know, professional athletes, that's another form of elite. Um, would these people who are so critical of um, the elite pay NFL prices to watch Joe Neighbor play football? I don't think so. Well, what's um, interesting is, so... is Trump's ability to get people to think that he can relate to them, and they don't count him as one of those uh, one percenters that that is cut off completely from him and FDR was able to do the same thing um, it, it that that really is a, a gift isn't it um, it's a great gift that can be used for good or for evil and, and uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> there, therein lies the conundrum <laughs> Indeed, indeed. And this is where, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what are the values of the nation? Um, are we a nation that strives to do good in the world, or do we want to build walls and hunker down and, uh, you know, turn our backs on human suffering? Um, are we a nation who believes that truth is important, that making good on your promises and business contracts is important, um, and, you know, vote accordingly. Martha, I, I feel like we're just getting started, and I always give uh, guests an opportunity to let people know where they can find out more. Do you, uh, obviously, the book is uh, a great place to start. It's called Unprecedented, a Biography of Donald Trump by Martha Brockenbro. Um, Martha, do you have a website? I do. It's just my name, um, and that's... Martha, B-R-O-C-K-E-N-B-R-O-U-G-H dot com. And that'll have uh, a link to the book. What's up next for uh, Martha? 
what's up next for me? You know, it's funny. I just had another book come out this month, and it's entirely different. It's a picture book meant for very young readers. It's called Cheerful Chick, um, and it's about a little tiny baby chick who's hatched with a big goal in life, and uh, she has to be persistent in order to achieve it. So anyway, if you want something lighter written in very cute rhyme, there you go. And, and, you know, when you put it that way, maybe not so different. Um. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. The chick has yellow fluff. (laughs) Martha, as always, it was great talking with you. Good luck with the book. Thanks for having me. Take care, Tom. All right. Bye-bye. That was uh, Martha Brockenbro. She um, draws on her diverse experience in journalism, research, nonfiction, and literary teen fiction, for an incisive and thoroughly researched biography of sitting President Donald J. Trump. A powerful storyteller and narrative voice, Martha is the author of Alexander Hamilton Revolutionary, uh, The Game of Love and Death, and Divine Intervention. She lives in uh, Seattle, Washington. And uh, anyway, uh, very interesting yet uh, critical take on the uh, sitting president. This is the first ever critical young adult biography of a sitting president. Unprecedented is the name of the book by Martha Brockenbro. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year, the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flynn Institute of Music. Hello! I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flip Flip Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital. Go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. It'd be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov slash AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Our next guest was the last Republican Vice President. He ran for the presidency in 1960 and looks to be a leading contender for 1968. Hi. <laughs> you have been publicly feuding with Governor Rockefeller. Of course. Would it be correct to say that you believe he has a big mouth? Uh, not as wide, I would say as would appear at some times in the American press. Uh, let's go now to Mr. St. Ledger. Uh, continuing with Governor Rockefeller, should he be chosen to run for president in 1968, when will you start campaigning for him? Within 48 hours after his defeat. <laughs> Mr. Van Vory. Sir, if we may make the observation, you seem to be interested in elections of all varieties. Yes, that's correct. Would you care to speculate on who you think will win the Miss Rheingold contest next year? The Senator Goldwater has a, a substantial lead at this point. <laughs> Mr. Swayze. When you were vice president, you were on speaking terms with many international leaders. Now, is your relationship with them still today as it's been in the past? Just what it's been in the past. Uh, then have you heard from Mr. Khrushchev lately? I talked to him this morning on the telephone. Oh, uh, really? Uh, where was he calling from? Uh, he had called me from Arizona. <laughs> if Khrushchev suddenly defected from Russia to the United States, what would you advise we do? Where you have a man who is vigorous, who is articulate, who has been effective, and who is honest, and who's done a good job, you send him back. The Immigration Department announces that Miss Christine Keeler and Miss Mandy Rice Davies have each applied for entrance into the United States. Uh, of course, they haven't been submitted to us on an official basis. Well, I understand that. What I'd like to know is this. Do you think Keeler and Davies should be admitted into this country? Well, I think it would be very bad for the country for us to go on a big spending spree at this time. <laughs> Sir, may we reminisce about your days in Washington? Of course. I was wondering, is it true that the men's room attendant at the Capitol building used to get only $25 a week salary? But I had, of course, the opportunity to talk to the president, to the secretary of state, to our various ministers in defense, and the other heads. 
spend a lot of time traveling, of course. I believe you just recently returned from England? Uh, very recently. And according to the British press, on your recent tour of England, Sir Anthony Eden is quoted as having described you as a perfect ass. Have you any comment? But that's typical British understatement. <laughs> this opportunity to speak with you today. You've been most cooperative. Is there anything of yours that we could keep as a memento of this visit? Take California. <laughs> For our final question, I should like to ask one of a personal nature that deals with your political image. I understand. It has been said by your critics, and I mean that incidentally to exclude us, but it has been said that you sometimes speak and act impulsively uh, without thinking. But I do think. Again, we didn't say that, sir. And many thanks for being with us. But I do think. I do think. There's no question in our minds. It was only hearsay at this. Thank you very much. I would just add this one point. Well, I'm sorry. I'm afraid that's all the time we have right now. But I do think. 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 This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Hey there, Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Tomorrow being Wednesday, of course, means armchair politics in the second and third hour of the big broadcast featuring our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Wes Whitaker. And uh, we'll start out the show tomorrow with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. Anyway, I hope you'll join us in the meantime. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.